Praise the Lord. Let's begin, as usual, by committing the Bible study to the Lord and asking God's blessing upon the Word tonight. Praise you. Hallelujah. Father, I just recognize that this Word has not been written by human beings, but has come from the very hand and the very mouth of God. Father, that means that I'm conscious also of the fact that you are the only one who can speak out your Word and the only one who can teach us. And Father, it is with uh, an acknowledgement of my own inability tonight that I stand before you. And Father, I'm asking for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Father, the one who is the teacher, the one who leads into all truth. And I would ask, Father, that the Word of God tonight should sparkle in our hands. And Father, should become solidly in our minds and as revelation truth in our spirits. And Father, I pray for everyone who's hearing, either in this auditorium tonight or on tape, and I ask, Father, that the words that I speak tonight might indeed be life to them, and that, Father, their lives will never be the same after tonight. Oh, Father, just come and speak to my own heart. And Father, may I learn wonderful things tonight and receive revelation even as I speak. So come, Father, and in this hour or so, just bless us so that indeed we can, Father, feel the anointing of the Spirit coming upon us in wonderful power. In the name of Jesus, I would ask it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Praise God. Well, we've reached a milestone tonight, praise the Lord. Um, if you've had a look at the blackboard, you'll notice that this is the basic Bible study number 100. And I've been looking forward to number 100 for some time. And you might be interested to know that after tonight's talk, there are only five more studies in the basic series. And my aim in this series, of course, was to provide information on tape so that a person or a group of people could work through this teaching and within just a number of sessions have everything they need to understand the Word of God and everything they need to be a successful Christian. And with only five topics to go, I look back on the way God has led me, and I've been absolutely amazed. I met a woman a few weeks ago who said, Roger, isn't it wonderful that when you started this course, you knew every title and you knew every tape that you were going to do? And I said, why do you think I knew every title? And she said, well, isn't it interesting? There are 14 talks in each series, except for one, which is 21. They're all multiples of seven. She said, it's wonderful how the Lord laid that out. And I said, it really is wonderful, but I have to tell you, that, in fact, I didn't know it was going to be like that. And uh, one of the things Keith, if I may let out a few secrets here, finds frustrating is that at the beginning of the course, very often I don't know how the course is going to end. In fact, I only seem to get about five titles at a time, and I have to really seek the Lord for the other titles. However, by number 100, we're so well on the way that I do know where we're going from now on. And notice what the subject is. The subject tonight is walking in the Spirit. Do you remember a few weeks ago I talked about breathing? I said there were three things that were necessary if we were going to be healthy Christians and strong, growing Christians. Three things, breathing, nourishment, and exercise. And we had two talks on spiritual breathing, and that was an analysis of prayer. Last time we had a talk called Eating the Word of God, and that was concerned with nourishment. And you might be interested to know that tonight and all the other talks in this series now have to do with exercise. How we exercise spiritually. 
Praise God. All right? So we've got some work to do. And exercise is never really pleasant. Loads and loads of people, you know, start off by thinking exercise is wonderful, but unfortunately it's hard work. And I have to tell you this, that to exercise in the things of God needs dedication. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many people here have got a bulwarker on top of their wardrobe at home. You know, there was a time when it was always advertised, you must get a bulwarker. And some chap who was absolutely muscle-bound came in front of the camera and he said, uh, I used to be a seven-stone weakling. Then I discovered bulwarker, and he shows him doing the exercises. And people rush out and buy these things, and for about three days, you know, they worked really hard at it, and then they found it was hard work. And the adverts seemed to suggest it was easy, just three minutes a day. Right? But what a lot of work you had to do in that three minutes. Rather like people who start teach yourself New Testament Greek, you know, and they generally get up to chapter 5 and that's it. The book goes on the shelf for the rest of the time. Now, the things that I'm going to talk about are things that actually will need concentration but are absolutely wonderful and they bring wonderful fruit with them. But I want to begin in a very strange passage. At least when we read it, you'll say, what on earth is he beginning in this passage for? I want us to go to Leviticus and chapter 11. For in this particular passage, we can tie up the Bible study we have tonight with the Bible study on eating the Word of God, which we had last time. Leviticus chapter 11, and I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 8. And here you have one of those passages in which God gives Jews certain instruction about their diet right, about what they can eat and what they can't eat. And you have here a definition of clean and unclean animals. You do know, don't you, that uh, the Jews were not permitted to eat just any piece of meat. By the way, when I travel, one of the things I love to do is to try new things uh, around. I was offered a, a plate of reindeer meat, you know, and um, only three little bits of it. And I thought, heavens, you know, they've really scrimped on this. And I found it was such a rich meat, I had to leave one and a half bits of it. But it was nice to try that. I tried octopus, we tried squid, squid, didn't we, when we were in Greece recently, and it's good. We even tried souvlaki, you know, and we really had to claim the promises in the Bible about whatever you eat. <laughs> and uh, the woman who actually served it, you know, was having a good scratch between each one, and we really had to claim that. Now, it's wonderful to be able to do that, but the Jews couldn't do it. There were certain foods that were forbidden as far as they were concerned, and here God gives the definition of what they can eat and what they can't eat. I'm going to read verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying unto them, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts which you shall eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. Whatsoever parteth the hoof, and is cloven-footed, and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that ye shall eat. Nevertheless, these shall ye not eat of them that chew the card, or of them that divide the hoof, as the camel, because he cheweth the card, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the coney, because he cheweth the card, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the hare, because he cheweth the card, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the swine, though he divide the hoof, and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the card, he is unclean unto you. Of their flesh shall ye not eat, and their carcass shall ye not touch. They are unclean unto you. And you read that passage and you say, well, what on earth has that got to do 
with what we're talking about tonight. It has everything to do with it. By the way, isn't God wonderful to the Jews here? You see, he is the great creator, and here he gives them a rule of thumb so that just by observation they can tell whether they can eat an animal or whether they can't. If God didn't do this, it would be a terrible job. They'd either have to know every animal that they were about to kill and know whether it was clean or unclean, or they'd have to take their little boy with them who would carry around a huge encyclopedia of every animal they're likely to come across. And the father would spot an animal in the field, and he'd get his bow and arrow, or whatever, his sling, ready. And then he'd say, come on, son, look it up, quick. Uh, yes, white spots, three foot long, and the boy would be going through, you know, oh, yes, oh, yes. Oh, Dad, I found it, a three-legged gutter snipe, or whatever it was. And then he'd read it through, yes, this uh, lives in Palestine, that's right. And, uh, oh, and then a little note at the, but this is clean for you. Okay, Dad. Trouble is, by the time he's done that, the thing's scarpered. I mean, run away. And there's the father saying, you have to be quicker than that, Sonny Jim. And then you go on to the next one. And so God very graciously decided that he would put a law into creation. And he said this, just have a look at the animal right, through your binoculars or whatever else they had in those days. And if you notice that it's chewing the cud, that's one tick. If it's then got a cloven hoof, then that's another tick. And if it's got both of those, you can eat it. If it's only got one of those, you mustn't touch it. Isn't that nice? So there was the rule of thumb, and they just had to have a look. And if they saw it chewing the cud, they could kill it and then inspect the feet afterwards, perhaps, or something like that. All right, I was reading this passage one day, and the Lord said, not only does this define clean animals, it also defines clean Christians. And the Lord said and spoke directly to me that a Christian who is going on with the Lord can be seen by these two characteristics. One, they chew the cud, and secondly, they walk cloven-footed. Now, obviously, I'm speaking allegorically tonight, all right? And uh, the Lord said that there is a thing called chewing the cud that you can do, and there is a walk which is cloven-footed, and if a Christian has those two things, they will definitely make progress with me. Well, I asked the Lord, well, Lord, okay, let's take the first. Chewing the cud, what's that? I had to look it up. You know, I wasn't very good at biology at school. I gave it up in the third year, or it gave me up, actually, in the third year. And um, I had to actually look it up. Do you know there are certain creatures around that have more than one stomach? Did you know that, right? Some of them look as if they've got more than one stomach as well. But the ones that chew the cud have more than one stomach. And a cow, for example, which Ogden Nash described as being of the bovine ilk, one end is moo, the other milk, right? But the thing about the bovine ilk is this, that it chews the cud. And if you watch it very carefully, you'll notice that it goes up to a very tough piece of grass indeed, wraps its tongue round it, pulls it up, mixes it with saliva, and it has a jolly good chew. After it's chewed it, down it goes. Then it goes to the next clump and does the same. Now, if you watch for long enough, you'll suddenly find it will come to an end of chewing, and it will go into the corner of the field, and it will lie down or just stand there. And if you watch carefully, something wonderful happens. There's a little ripple up its back, and all of a sudden, it starts chewing again. Have you noticed that? Marvelous. And what's happened is this. All the grass has gone into one of its stomachs. That stomach now empties itself into its mouth again, and it gives it another chew on the way up. <clears throat> These cows really love grass, don't they? Boy, you know, mind you, some of my wife's cooking is so delicious, I feel like doing the same. <clears throat> but um, 
that's what it does. Now, I asked the Lord, what does this mean? And the Lord showed me what it meant, that there were certain Christians around who read the Word of God, who listened to ministry, to Bible studies, to what people shared in the meetings. They digested it and took it into themselves, and they then would, as it were, chew it over many times. In other words, they would read a passage one day, and perhaps two days later they would sit, and they would actually regurgitate the word and think about it. I do a lot of this in the car. I find that if I take in the word of God regularly, as I'm traveling in the car and concentrating on the road, I'll be thinking about the scriptures that I've read. And I give them a good chew, and then another chew, and another chew, and it's amazing the revelation that you receive by going over and over a passage in your mind, again and again and again. I just love the meetings that we have, and I'll tell you why, because people share mustard seeds all over the place, and I've found, you know, that if you chew these mustard seeds, they grow into huge trees. At a meeting two weeks ago, I received enough information in the meeting to actually write two complete talks for a conference coming up. People shared a little something, and I took that into myself, and as I chewed it over, God developed that and gave me a revelation. Most of my Bible studies, I have to tell you, are given to me in our Sunday and Tuesday meetings. Isn't that staggering? And very often, um, as I give a Bible study, it's a seed that you may have given in the meeting. You wouldn't recognize it at all, but from that seed has grown the tree that I actually give. I get all sorts of things. We have a conference on holiness coming up in December. Is it December the 9th or 7th? December the 7th. And I've been praying about this. Well, it was in a meeting a week ago that I received my first talk. You see? Now, I take the words that are said, I chew them over, and God reveals things, but I need those particles, as it were. I need those seeds to develop that which God is saying to me. And it's wonderful. I can recall ministry that many of you have given in the meetings over the last few years. I don't know whether he's here, but one chap, for example, to give an example, about four years ago, uh, stood up in a Chichester meeting and he said, um, listen, he said, can I ask you a question? Say you want to put a stake into the ground, I mean a piece of wood into the ground, and all you've got is a little bit of creosote. Is Bob here? He's the chap who ministered this. And you've only got a little bit of creosote. Where would you put the creosote to make sure that that post lasted longer than it would otherwise be? I mean, would you paint the bottom that goes into the ground, or what would you do? And I remember sitting there thinking, well, I think I'd dribble it in the top, you know, to stop the rain getting in. And he made this point. He said, well, the answer is that you must put a band of creosote around it at the point that the stake comes from the ground into the air and put a band around it. This might be helpful for some of you, right? You never know. And you put a band of creosote around at that very point, and what he said was this, because the, the place of most wear is where the air meets the ground. And he said, and by the way, it's where we come into contact with the world that we need the Spirit more than at any other time. I thought that was a wonderful thought. And that really developed something in me. You see, I don't think I've quoted it before, but from that idea came all sorts of other ideas into my head, and God really blessed me through it. Beloved, we've got to chew the cud. Now, those who don't chew the cud, they come to the meetings, they've had a hard week. They're covered with the dust of this world. They come into the meeting, and they're absolutely out of sorts. 
And then the meeting starts, and people are praising the Lord and moving in God, and they're, they're ministering the Word of God, and they begin to feel better in the meeting. You know, it, it buffs them up and removes that sheen or covering of dust that's been upon them. And they begin to feel better. By the halfway through the meeting, they're actually praising the Lord. And we're praising the Lord as well, that we don't have many like that. Otherwise, the meetings would be disastrous. But they're praising the Lord. Oh, it's wonderful. Jesus has broken through. Tremendous. They receive the word of the Lord through a prophecy, through a word that's ministered, whatever. They leave the meeting rejoicing. But the tragedy is, as they walk away from the meeting hall, the word is being left behind them. And by the next day, they're down in the dumps again. And if you say to them, well, what did God say to you yesterday? Oh, I can't remember. Now, what was it? It was, uh, I can't remember. Now, these are people who are not chewing the cud, you see? And by the way, if you're one of those with a bad memory, it's worth writing out the revelations as soon as you get home, before you have your Sunday lunch. And just recount them, go over them. Allow God time to develop these things, all right? Those who chew the cud will always find themselves being refreshed in the Word of God. All right, well, that ties up with last times. But it's the second of these two things, the cloven-footedness, that is actually the subject for tonight. For to be clean, you not only chew the cud, you've also got to have a cloven-footed walk. Now, cloven-footedness, there we are, a cloven-footed animal. I asked the Lord, Lord, what does it mean? And I didn't get any answer for some time, and suddenly I realized what it was about. You see, a cloven-footed animal when it puts its foot down, puts its foot down in two places at once, doesn't it? That's what a cloven foot actually means. Two places at once. In every step that it takes, the cloven foot comes down and it makes two imprints. Praise God. And suddenly I realized what the Lord was saying, that the Christian who is going to make progress with God actually walks in two places at once. He walks down here on this earth, but praise God, he's also walking in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and he's doing both of those. Now, most Christians don't know what this is about. Most Christians are so earthbound, so, as it were, chained to what they are in the natural, what the world is saying to them, what other Christians are saying to them, that they forget that God has put something in them which is heavenly, that has an existence in the heavens, and it's possible, while walking in reality down here, to also walk in the reality up there. And the lovely thing is this, that that, that truth, which is heavenly, is revealed again through the Word of God. Let me take you to a scripture, and I'll show you what I mean. I'll give you a few examples as well, in case this isn't coming over quite clearly. Go to Romans and chapter 4, and you'll see the sort of thing I'm talking about. The non-Christians around you are totally earthbound. But praise the Lord, we are not earthbound, we're heavenbound, hallelujah. We're going to heaven, and we're already now seated in those heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now here's a verse that refers to Abraham. I'm going to read the whole verse, although it's the end of the verse that I really want. Verse 17. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they be. Isn't that wonderful? And what it says is this, that you look on the earth and you say, that is not. But when you look in heaven, God says, 
Oh, yes, it is. God calls those things which are not as though they are. And I could also reverse it. He calls those things that are as if they are not. And the marvelous thing is that there is a spiritual truth which often contradicts the natural truth. And beloved, we can walk in the experience of both of those, and we must if we are going to be healthy Christians. Mm -hmm. This takes a bit of time and takes a bit of practice, but you learn what is true in the heavenlies through the Word of God. For example, you are seated in this auditorium on the earth, but the Word of God also says you're seated in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. Well, is that a contradiction? No, it's not a contradiction. They're both true. And the fact you're seated in the auditorium down here will have certain effects upon you. The seats aren't very comfortable in this auditorium, and within an hour you will discover that fact. Right? But, beloved, the reality of your being seated in heaven also has effects if you will set your mind upon it and really understand it will have effects upon you. And we've got to walk in both places at once. I go to a lot of fellowships around this country, and I find that many of them have a different emphasis. And sometimes I meet Christians with a different emphasis. And sometimes I meet people who say, those super spiritual Christians. And they criticize them. Oh, boy. They live in unreality. And they criticize them. And normally these people are down to earth. You know they've got their feet on the ground, the sort of people. Oh, I don't want to meet another super spiritual Christian. I really don't. And their heads are in the clouds. Honestly, they're of no earthly use. And that's the criticism that's made of them. But I'll tell you something. Very often, the person who's criticizing them is actually calling God a liar. For what the people who are moving in faith are doing, they are counting that what God has said and what is true in the heavens is actually more true than the things down here on this earth. And by the way, it is not being hypocritical to walk in faith if God says he's done something or God says you are something. It's not being unreal or hypocritical. That is more real than the thing you see in front of your eyes. On the other hand, super-spiritual Christians often criticize the earthbound ones. Well, they're so earthbound, they're of no heavenly use, right? And that's the sort of way. Beloved, the point about a healthy Christian is he's both. You can be real about yourself, but if you're going to be real about yourself, please will you be real about what God's done in you. Don't be so real about yourself that you're denying the work of God. You see? We've got to learn to do both of those. On the other hand, face up to what you really are, right? And, uh, and walk in the truth of what you are as well. But there has to be a balance between the two. In case this is still too complicated, let me give you a good example from the Old Testament. This is one of my favorite examples. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 6, where we have an earthbound person meeting a very well-balanced person, right? 2 Kings and chapter 6. And this is the story of Elisha. 2 Kings 6, and I'm beginning verse 8, where the king of Assyria is warring against Israel. And I hope you all know this story very well. Verse 8, the king of Assyria warred against Israel. Aram, you may have, which is really correct in your Bible. And took counsel with his servants, saying, in such and such a place shall be my camp. Right? I'm going to have my headquarters just there, and we're going to attack Israel from this side. Verse 9, And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. 
Now, Elisha was listening to God, and God was telling him the battle plans of the Syrians, and he was passing it on to the king of Israel. Isn't that wonderful? You see? And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him, and warned him of, and saved himself there, not once nor twice. In other words, a lot of time. And the king of Syria was getting really frustrated. Every time I arrange an ambush, what do they do? They change direction, going another direction. I arrange it here, off they go. Arrange it here, off they go. Arrange it here, off they go. And he begins to smell a rat around here. Right? He calls his advisors together. Look at this, verse 11. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. He called his servants and said unto them, Will she not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? This is happening so often, there has to be a spy in the camp. Has to be. Can't be any other explanation. They know too much. Who is it? And this is what happens. Verse 12. And, and one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel, he tilleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. That's the most secret words, by the way. Whatever you say, Elisha's listening in. I have this vision of Elisha in a rocking chair, and he's rocking backwards and forwards, saying, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you see? And then he's jotting down anything and making notes. He's hearing everything, you know? Sometimes, by the way, I long to be a fly on the, on the wall and, and buzz into some of the houses in the fellowship. I really would, to see how they live when I'm not there. Oh, I'd love to do it. I won't ask the Lord actually for it. But Elisha knew. He knew exactly what was going on, you see. Right, now what happens? And this is quite amusing. Verse 13, the king of, of Syria has a good idea. He says, go and spy where he is. Now he has to spend, send spies out to find where Elisha is, that I may send and fetch him. And by the way, Elisha's in his rocking chair writing this down. Oh, he's sending spies out to find where I am now. <laughs> Wonderful, isn't it? He's receiving it all. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Now, what would you do? Here is a man who is sworn to kill you because you've uh, spoiled his plans. Now you hear he's heading with his army to the place where you're staying. Most of us would have actually said, What time's the caravan to uh, Jerusalem or wherever? You know, we'd better get out of this place. Elisha didn't. He just carried on rocking in his rocking chair. I mean, I'm reading between the lines there. It's not in the Hebrew or anything. And look what he says, verse 14, Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about with Elisha inside. Elisha now in bed, right, having a good night's sleep. And the army has travelled all night, and it surrounds the whole city. Now, Elisha has a servant. And this servant is a really down-to-earth sort of fellow. I mean, he's real, this chap. And he goes for his morning stroll along the wall. You see, that's where they used to walk for their morning stroll. And he's going along and taking the air, and he's got to go and prepare breakfast for Elisha. And as he glances down, he suddenly sees the army of Syria. And he rushes round to the other side, and there they are, and he rushes, and we're surrounded. And the chap panics. My mother was right. I shouldn't have taken this job. <laughs> I'm in a right fix now. That's what he says, you see. And he's really wild about this. He rushes in to where Elisha is fast asleep. He wakes him up. Look what he says, verse 15. Look, and when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Master, we're surrounded. 
by the king of Syria and his army. We're absolutely finished. I don't know what we're going to do. And Elisha, without getting up, says, don't worry, there's more with us than there's with them. <laughs> now, the servant must have thought, that's super, isn't it? I mean, we're absolutely cut off. Now my master's had a nervous breakdown. Great. <laughs> this is really good. Lovely. And being so earthbound, he must have looked at Elisha and said, you are joking, aren't you? More with us. Oh, yes. One, two. Now, to the earthbound man, the servant is absolutely correct. But you see, Elisha was not earthbound. He was cloven-footed. Elisha knew that they were there. The, the uh, servant might have said, well, you see, he doesn't know. He hasn't seen them. And he might have said, Lord, open his eyes that he can see the truth about the situation. But Elisha knew about the situation. It wasn't Elisha that lacked information. It was the servant that lacked information. For the servant, you see, was only seeing things in the natural. He hadn't seen what God had done in the situation. Just like so many Christians who are bogged down in their situation or in who they are or in, you know, the difficulties they've got. And do you know many of them don't actually raise their eyes to heaven to see what God has done in their lives? And Elisha says this, verse 16, I'll read it. <clears throat> he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he might see. And I think perhaps you know, in fellowships, we as, as elders need to pray, Lord, open the eyes of the people that they might see what God's done for them, because it would liberate them. And then he says this, And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Isn't that wonderful? What had Elisha been doing? Elisha had been reading the Psalms. He will give his angels charge over thee. And Elisha believed it. Elisha was living in the heavenly reality that there were angels protecting him because he was the servant of the Lord and that's their heritage. Wonderful. He couldn't see anything. But faith, you see, is the assurance of things not seen. And he knew it. It was the servant that didn't see it. And suddenly the servant's eyes were open. He said, look at those. It's true. There are more on our side than there are on their side. Beloved, that is a cloven-footed individual. Not only seeing what is in the natural, but also reckoning what is in the spiritual and counting it more real than that which is in the natural. Beloved, that is being a cloven-footed Christian. But do you see what this means is that you have to know what is so in the spiritual and you have to start putting your faith into operation concerning that thing. I'll give you one other example, just in case this isn't quite clear. But in Exodus and chapter 17, we have another example. I'm beginning verse 8. Exodus 17, verse 8. They're just out of Egypt now, and look what happens. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And the Amalekites were a pretty tough group of individuals. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out fight with Amalek. Go and have a battle with them. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And the people must have thought, that's typical. 
Just when there's a battle on, guess where they are? They're on the top of the hill, out of the battle, ha ha. Yeah, we are earthbound in their thinking. Verse 11, and it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. Isn't that wonderful? You see, the people fighting down below thought they were winning the battle, but it was Moses doing this. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. We don't know how he discovered this. I reckon he was sort of saying, come on outside, come on outside. And they were winning. And then he said, you see, we're winning. And then they were losing. And before long, he found that where he put his arm was absolutely crucial. The battle was not being won down below. It was being won elsewhere. And in this battle, you have a cloven-footedness. Do you see that? Beloved, it's true of every single one of us. If we are really to see the victory and the manifold glory of the Lord in our lives, it's no use being earthbound. You've got to get the heavenly perspective as well and count it more real than that which is earthly. This is the walk of faith. This is walking, as it were, in the Spirit. In the New Testament, we're told to do this. Go to Colossians chapter 3. This is much neglected, I have to tell you, in the body of Christ today. Much neglected. Verse 1 to verse 4 of Colossians 3. Now look what it says. If ye then be risen with Christ, and it's if and you are, going right back to the very first tape I ever did, if and you are risen with Christ. The truth about you is you are risen with him. You may not feel it, right? It may not be within your experience, but the truth about you is you're in the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is actually seated on the right hand of God the Father tonight. Praise God. And if you're in that body, that's where you are. That's revelation truth. If you be risen with Christ, then seek those things that are above. Do you see that? Put your mind on those things that are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead. Now what's this? Dead, yet I live. That's right. Cloven-footedness, isn't it? I'm only too much alive, and yet the truth about me is I'm dead. I'm dead, but alive. I'm a living dead thing, or a living sacrifice. Why, that's absolutely right. In two places at once, two experiences here. You see? For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Isn't that amazing? He's coming for his saints, and yet we'll appear with him when he comes. Wonderful, because we're already there. Now, this is a mystery, of course. But here is the cloven-footed nature that we actually have. And beloved, it is essential that we as Christians begin to live in a revelation of these things. For you see, the world is bound. It cannot move. But we are those who've been set free. The world is crucified unto us. And beloved, it means that we can have a freedom in our existence that was unknown to us previously. You can do things you've never done before. Hallelujah. You can experience things that you've never experienced before. You can actually know victory over depression and over the sins that so easily beset because he has delivered you. Praise God. That is the reality of the work of God. And that works real. If I have to choose which is more real, me and the natural or me and the spiritual, I have to say me and the spiritual is more real. Because me and the natural isn't going to last many more years. Hallelujah. Praise God, you're all glad to hear that, aren't you? But me and the spiritual is going to last forever. It has to have a greater reality. 
And we have to be aware, lest we become earthbound, we've got to get the balance in these things. It's essential. Now, we don't like this. We don't like it. It says in uh, Hebrews 11 that without faith, it's impossible to please God, but we don't want to move by faith, do we? We want to move in the natural. I want to rejoice because I feel good. And if I'm feeling good, I rejoice. But God says rejoice anyway, because he's worthy to be praised who lifted me. I don't feel lifted, but you're lifted anyway, so you may as well rejoice. Faith is a necessary requirement. Now, there are people who preach, you know, well, uh, of course, uh, you don't need faith. It's all going to get sorted out. It won't all get sorted out. I remember reading Paul's thorn in the flesh. I'm thinking, Lord, tell me what this thorn in the flesh is. And the Lord said to me, whatever you want it to be. I haven't revealed what it is because you can identify with it. But here was something that was affecting Paul. We don't know whether it was a, some temptation or, you know, uh, an enemy in some way coming against him, a, a human enemy. We don't know what it was, but all we know is this. He besought the Lord about it. He said, Lord, I come against this in the name of Jesus. Deliver me. Nothing happened. So he did it again and again. Finally, the Lord said, don't do it again. My grace is sufficient for you. And what God was saying to him is, over this one area, you are going to have to live by faith. And it may be that every day you're still affected by this, but you've got to get to the place where my grace is sufficient for you and you've got to live above this thing. We don't want it. We want it all sorted out in the natural, don't we? So that we can plod on in the natural. Well, I'm not tempted anymore. I don't have any weaknesses here. There's nothing that affects me. I'm happy like this all day long. <laughs> right? And everyone's saying, oh, if only I was happy like that. Beloved, I tell you this. I have found that the Christian life is difficult. And sometimes there are radiant Christians around, and some who are not radiant look at them and say, oh, if only I had a life like theirs. Beloved, they're not understanding. Every one of us has pressure. Every single one of us. And sometimes I've found that those who receive the most pressure are often the most glorious Christians because they're living in the reality of God. And they've learned to tap the power and the life, the source of life, which is in God. This is what this is talking about. Set your mind on things that are above. I owe my complete sanity to the fact of God's work in my life. I, honestly, I, my life was a mess when I was born again. But when I was born again, I was born again. You see? And I was one of those that happened to believe it. Praise God. I had a furious temper. I was always getting depressed. Right? I, I didn't have too many friends around. I didn't like people very much. Thank you. I didn't. I didn't make too many people welcome in any way at all. Now, that was me in the natural. But I happened to believe that when I was born again, I was born again. And that meant there was a new beginning for me. I believed there was a spiritual reality that I could tap into. And I take you to the first verse of Scripture that I ever believed. I've taken you here before in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me show you this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it was the verse, but have you noticed verse 16, verse 16, 2 Corinthians 5, 16, wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh. But the tragedy with Christians is we're busy trying to know everyone after the flesh. You see, here it says we know no one after the flesh, and that includes yourself. You don't anymore reckon yourself as you were. Not even Christ do you know after the flesh. 
No. And it says this, Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more in that way. And it was the Pharisees who knew him after the flesh. Do you remember after he said certain things, they said, hold on a minute, we know his mother. I know his brothers and his sisters. Do you remember that in Matthew 12 and 13? Do you remember that? But we know who he is. And therefore what they were saying is, look, we know him, therefore we know that his teaching can't be from God. And what they're saying is, and what Paul says is, look, we knew him after the flesh, and there were people still around who knew him after the flesh. But praise God, they also knew him after the Spirit. And they knew that Jesus was indeed the Son of God who had come down from heaven, even though he was born in Bethlehem. They didn't know him after the flesh. Now it goes on to say this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Folks, that applies to every one of you who's heard about the Lord Jesus Christ and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a brand new creature from that moment on, and it doesn't just stop there. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now that is a fact. This is the heavenly truth about you, that the old is passed away. Praise God. And you know, if it's passed away, you don't have to obey it anymore. The tragedy is most people haven't received a revelation of this, and as a result, they're still walking as if they're in slavery to that which is old, but you're not in slavery to it. The, the literal, legal truth about you is God has cut the bondage, praise God, and you're a free man. You can walk off. That's true, praise God. Oh, I'm glad I discovered this. I was used to losing my temper. I used to lose my temper all over the place. If I didn't like something, I used to lose my temper right? Every day it used to happen to me. It never happened once I was born again. For God showed me that I didn't have to be a slave to it anymore. I have to tell you this, along the way I needed a few mid-course corrections. I needed a bit of deliverance along the way. Oh yes. I needed a bit of uh, counsel along the way, you know, a bit of therapy along the way. But I'll tell you, it wasn't those things that set me free. The thing that set me free was the wonderful reality of what God had done in my life. Hallelujah. And these things helped remove minor blocks that there were. The truth about you is you're a brand new creature in Christ. And that's true in the heavenlies. And beloved, God wants heaven to come down to this earth. You've been born from above to live down here to show God's glory. That's the reality that's revealed here. Praise God. How many cloven-footed Christians do you know? There are not many around, unfortunately, but I hope we've got a lot in the fellowship who know their failings, who know what they're like in the natural, but praise God, they know what they're like in the spiritual too, and they're moving in the spiritual. And as you do that, do you know what happens? That which is in the natural is gradually put to death. Praise God. It's dead anyway, according to the scripture. Gradually it begins to fade. That is what being cloven-footed is all about, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, a marvelous verse and one of the essentials. And may I say, it's a verse that you must chew over, and if you're going to chew the cud, begin with this verse, and really get a revelation of the truth of it. It's a question of setting our minds on the truth of what God has done. We had ministry in the Bognor meeting. Those Bognor meetings are really wonderful these days, praise God. And uh, there was ministry from someone who shall remain nameless. I think she might be here. But she stood up and she said, do you know, she said, God has said to me that we've got to go into the observatory. Got to go into the observatory. How many of you heard this particular woman 
give this ministry. Got to go into the observatory. She said, sometimes I find that I get so bound with the things that I'm doing in my life, I have to go into the observatory where I could observe the heavens, right? I can observe the great work of God that he's done that's bigger than I am. I thought that was so wonderful. Praise God. I went home, I chewed that over for several days. Now I'm regurgitating it, you see. It's free, folks. You can pick it up and take it. Praise the Lord. It's wonderful. I think we've got to do that. Now, most of us do not. What we do, we put ourselves under the microscope. Do you see? But what God says is, look, there is a time, perhaps, to to examine your heart. That's right. But I tell you, we need every day to look through the telescope and see the wonderful things that God has done for us. That is the cloven-footed nature that we have. And that's what God is requiring of every one of us. And if we will do this, we will find that that which we set our minds on is that which starts manifesting in our lives. Absolutely true. Praise God. Paul expresses this using wonderful words, and he does it so much better than I could ever do it, of course. He puts it in this way. Well, let's turn to it and see it. It's in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians and chapter 5, verse 25. Now look what it says here. I'm going to make sure you have enough time to really read this. Galatians 5, 25. If we live in the Spirit, and we do, first class condition of the if here, if and we do live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You see that? Now, beloved, many Christians don't do this. They are what uh, James describes as hearers of the word, but not doers. But James says to us, we've got to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. In other words, if the word of God says something about us, we've got to put it into practice. And here it says, don't just believe that God has done things in you by the Spirit, and you're living in the Spirit. Actually put it into practice and let the word become flesh in your being. That's what he's actually saying. Wonderful, isn't it? Right? We're alive in the Spirit. We must walk in the Spirit. I remember that a certain time of my life, I thought that salvation was just spiritual. You know, that it was uh, heaven. One day I was going to heaven. One day I'd see the Lord. One day everything would be fine. One day I'd see the glory of the Lord. Meanwhile, down here, I've had a struggle on as I am. Right? Now, what I was doing, I was saying, well, I'm alive in the Spirit, but oh, so deathly otherwise. What this would say to me is, now, Roger, that's not true. If you know what you are in the Spirit, if you know you're alive, you're a new man, walk as if you are. Do you see what it's saying? Put that which you know into practice. This is spiritual exercise, right? So that the truth we have doesn't just remain in our heads, it actually starts being manifested in our lives. And we find that this is... Uh, coming into reality. In verse 16, this is the promise that he says, Galatians 5.16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Isn't that wonderful? If we will believe the truth of what God has done to us, begin moving out in it, we'll suddenly find that the old will scamper away. It will start decreasing. Wonderful. The word walk here is uh, a very interesting word. It's the word in Greek, peripateo, right? That's not how modern Greeks would pronounce it, but peripateo. And if you listen carefully, you'll see the little word peri in there, peripateo. The word peri means around, periscope, right? To look around. Perimeter, the distance around. 
And peripateo actually could be more literally translated as to walk around. If you're alive in the Spirit, walk around in the Spirit. That's what he's saying. We use this little phrase, don't we, to walk around. We talk about a lady, you know, and we say she walks around as if she's Queen Bee. Don't we use that phrase? And here is some lady, you know, and every time she comes in, she acts as if she's the absolute queen. Right? And we say, huh, she walks around as if she's Queen Bee. We use it of men, too. And women. Well, this one is both, I suppose. You know, they walk around as if they own the joint. Have you heard that said? Some, some people who visit uh, my house, you know, and they've never been here before. I don't mind if it's friends or members of the fellowship. But some people who've never visited my house before, they walk in and it's as if they've owned my house. It's absolutely staggering, you know. One person went upstairs and uh, started walking. I couldn't believe it. They walk around as if they own the joint. Or he thinks, he, he walks around as if he's God's gift to women. Now, what you're saying about these people, you're not just saying they believe that they are. What you're saying is, that's how they're acting too. And this phrase, walk around, means this. You are putting into practice what you are convinced about in your mind. And beloved, if we were more convinced about the work that God has done in our lives, we would actually walk differently. I think the real problem is we're not convinced enough about the reality of the Spirit and the work that's been done in the Spirit. Well, we're totally convinced about the reality of our lives. Right? That's only too real. It's the greater reality, that which is in the spiritual realm, that I am convinced we need to ask God to reveal to us. Just one side of it would transform our lives. Do you know, revelation, receive a revelation, you are transformed on the spot. There's a transmogrification which occurs immediately. You can look that up afterwards, right? Transmogrification. Oh, yes. To get a revelation changes you. Uh, Ian Sayers, and I hope he won't mind me, me quoting him, he actually told about a man who used to bring his car for him to do, and this man was really hard. He was a Christian. Really hard, this chap. Oh, so tough. And you were afraid of what you said to him. Really tough. Then one day came in, and he looked different. Ian Sayers looked at him, and he thought, there's something different. And then the man began to talk about Jesus and tears started streaming down his eyes, you know, from his eyes down his cheeks. And he said to Ian, Ian, I've had a revelation of Jesus. And the tears streaming. And this man, whenever he talks about Jesus, he cries and cries and cries now because he's had a revelation. And the spiritual reality hit him and it did that which nothing else can do. Beloved, we've got to ask God, Lord, open our eyes that we might see. Lord, I know myself after the natural, and I don't like myself. But I want to see myself after the spiritual. I've been born from above. Who am I, Lord? Now, and ask God to show you who you really are. Praise God. Then we begin walking around. Now, it says here, if you walk in the flesh, Right? And you can walk in the flesh, you will experience death. Who are those Christians who walk around in the flesh? Well, sin besets them all the time. You know, difficulties are up and down. Oh, in and out of fellowship with the Lord. Uh, they moan the individuals. Oh dear. You know, the flesh is the dominant thing as far as their lives are concerned. The circumstances are always getting them down. You heard the, uh, someone said to a certain minister, you know, or a minister said to this man, how are you? And the chap replied, well, under the circumstances, I'm all right. And the minister said, well, what are you doing under those? <laughs> and that's right. 
But if you walk in the flesh, that's who you are. You know, well, it's been a bit tough and, and round you go. But beloved, there are those who walk in the Spirit. Those who happen to believe they're brand new creatures and they walk in the newness of life. Those who happen to believe that they have the glorious liberty of the sons of God and they walk in the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Those who happen to believe that they are sheer royalty, a royal priesthood, and boy do they look it. Those who believe they are priests and who therefore are always open to receive directly from God themselves. Those who know the joy and the peace and the love which is in such abundance in God's kingdom. These are the ones who have a revelation. Now, sometimes you meet them and you think it's not quite true. But, beloved, they are moving out in these things. And as they persevere, they find it gets more and more true. Praise the Lord. And don't you call them hypocrite? No, no, they're not being hypocritical. They're moving according to a greater truth. Praise God. The truth that's in the heavenly places. It's wonderful. There's another way that Paul expresses it. He calls it being filled with the Spirit. You might say, hold on, that's not the same thing. Oh, yes, it is. Can we just turn to Ephesians 5.18? Let's have a look at this. Now, in verse 18, Paul says something very interesting. It says here, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, there are two parts to this verse. The first one says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Don't be drunk. But second, be filled with the Spirit. Now, one minister that I heard said, well, you see, the filling of the Spirit has the same effect as being drunk. You see, if you're drunk, you're out of your mind. Right? And you know drunk, he goes up on board a bus, he speaks to anyone, and dances the sweet Valita and all the rest, and he says, and when you're filled with the Spirit, you act just the same. It's almost as if you're out of your mind. No, 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 no. I'm afraid he got it wrong. You'll notice here that this verse comes at the end of several verses. And if you read these other verses, you'll see that there's a contrast in each of the verses. For example, verse 14 of Ephesians 5. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You were asleep, now awake. Do the opposite. It's an opposite, not a parallel. Verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools. It's the opposite. Don't be like them, be like this. Then it says, verse 17, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding. Now, it's a contrast. And, and after these verses of contrast, verse 18 is a contrast. What he's saying is this, The drunk blots out his mind. But what God wants you to do is have a mind filled with the knowledge of God and walk with your mind set on the things that are above. Don't blot your mind out. So many charismatics are criticized for this. You know, they're beating music, oh, blotting their mind out. It's terribly dangerous to blot your mind out. Don't do it. What you've got to do is be fully persuaded of the truth in your mind and walk in the knowledge that is in your mind. That's walking in the Spirit. It's the same thing. And here, you don't act like a drunkard. Quite the contrary. You are full of self-control, and more than that, full of the knowledge of the Lord. And so you walk. And as you start to walk, the Holy Spirit comes. He fills you and gives you the ability to do it. Wonderful, you see. The word filled here is exactly the same word used in the Bible, which is translated fulfilled. Have you read in the Gospels, thus Jesus did to fulfill the Scripture? Have you ever read that? I'll give you an example. Um, Matthew 26, 
for example. If you go to Matthew 26, and uh, here is the passage, you know, where um, he's about to be arrested in Gethsemane. And do you remember Peter comes and he's got a sword? And he takes the sword out. He's going to stop Jesus being arrested. He's going to stop Jesus being the savior of the world. Isn't that wonderful? And there he is, and Jesus intervenes, right? Apologizes profusely, of course, to the uh, servant. Says, I'm terribly sorry, cut your ear off. And he picks up the and puts it back on again. <laughs> and in verse 52, this is what Jesus says to Peter. Look, he says this. Then said Jesus unto him, put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Now, here is Jesus. Notice what he's doing. He's not saying, well, the Scripture says it, so it's going to come to pass no matter what we do. Not saying that. What he says is, I know what the Scripture wants, and I know what God's will is, and I am putting that into operation. That's interesting. And that word fulfilled used in verse uh, uh, 54 is the same word as to be filled. To be filled or to fulfill. And you know, if you fulfill the word of God by living out the reality, the spiritual reality of your life, then automatically you are fulfilling the word of God and the Holy Spirit will be there. Praise God. He'll fill you utterly. The quickest way to be filled with the Spirit on a daily basis is to start moving in the new man. Praise God. You can't move in the new man and not be filled with the Spirit. Put off the deeds, right, by the Spirit the deeds of the flesh, by the Spirit. This is what the Scripture is talking about. And beloved, every day we have to exercise ourselves in our most holy faith. And how do we do it? By knowing what we believe and walking in it. Praise God. I have to do this, as you know, very often in the talk, where I, I know that in the natural my voice isn't strong enough to give the study. But that's all right, because God never said my voice would be strong enough. What he says is, he will undergird me. And he will provide for the particular talk. Well, that's wonderful, isn't it? So you can stand up, not in who you are, but in what he's promised. Praise God. You can do this. All of you should have promises from the Lord that you should be able to walk out in. And the reality of the word of God is greater than the reality of the natural. Trouble is with most of us, we've lived in the natural so long, we think it's the other way around. But it's time for us to repent, to rethink this through, and then we'll start seeing some of the glory of the Lord. I'm so glad that I realized that this was the case. For I am a more liberated man now than I ever dreamt that I could be. But God, in the new birth package, has given us the glorious liberty of the sons of God, and we can walk in it. Praise God. And one other thing, the word filled itself actually means your body is expressing what is in your mind. And we'll see the last scripture for tonight, John 16. Oh, sorry, penultimate scripture for tonight, I beg your pardon. John 16 and verse 6. And Jesus says he's going away. And in verse 6, this is what is said. He says this, but because I've said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. See the word filled there again. Sorrow has filled your heart. How did he know that sorrow had filled their heart? He could see it on their faces. How did he know their minds were sorrowful? He could see it on their faces. And the word filled or fulfilled means this, that you put into 
your experience, the truth that you know. So that what's in your mind begins showing in your life. And beloved, that is walking in the Spirit. And God demands of us that we walk in the Spirit. It's no good going up to the people around who read their Christians every day. They may not read their Bibles, but they certainly read you. It's no good going up to them and say, well, I've got hang-ups, you see. Right? I've got such major problems, you will never see the glory of God in my life. <laughs> so you must listen to what I say. Right? Oh, it's terrible. I saw a chap uh, preaching the gospel on the, the seafront in Bogner. And I mean, the message, he was handing the tracks out like this. You're going to go to hell. And he was... And I knew what the reaction was, you see. Because the, the thing, he, by giving them out, he was saying, you too can have peace and happiness like I've got. <laughs> and they looked at him and they thought, I think I'll keep the peace that I've got, thank you. And off they would go. Beloved, God demands of us that we actually represent the truth in our own lives that we really know. And this means a bit of hard work. And I'm afraid there is no replacement for this. You've got to get, make the effort and you've got to, to take the word of God seriously. And this is a test of your faith as to whether you will. Now, you're going to need some help, okay, along the way. You will need some counsel. You will need, perhaps, some deliverance. But the treasury is with most Christians. They want someone else to do all the hard work. Well, they just sit there and receive all the time. Receive, receive, receive. Beloved, you've got to do the work yourself. And it's absolutely essential that you see this. And that means meditating on the Word of God. So, chewing the cud, walking cloven-footed, and you're fulfilling the Word of God. Praise his wonderful name. All right, to bring this uh, to a conclusion, let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. And let's notice what Paul prays in Ephesians 3. He prays for revelation for them. You've got to ask God to show you the truth. You've got to know what is the truth about yourself. In verse 14, he says, I pray. Verse 16, now look, and beloved, you pray this prayer tonight, will you? You pray it tomorrow if you get time, and ask God to do it. It would liberate you. Verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints. Comprehend in your mind, you see, what is the breadth and length and depth and height so that your faith becomes real and solid. That's what he's saying. And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. To know the love of Christ, which is not knowable. Which is wonderful, isn't it? By the Spirit, you can know it. Right? Which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. It's revelation in the inner man that he's going to fill us with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly, above all we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. You see this? It's God's working. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. But don't stop there. Notice then the challenge. And this is the challenge I'm going to leave you with. I therefore, he says, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you, he says, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Because God has called you, because he's done such wonderful things, you've got to walk in the reality of the wonderful things that God has done in your life. Praise God. The rest of the course is going to be developing this theme. 
next time in one of the most important Bible studies in the whole series, and I please would like most people who can make it in the fellowship to be here, I'm going to speak on forgiveness. And the point of next week's talk is this, not or, or next time's talk is this, not just that you're forgiven, but that as a forgiven person, you must forgive too. It's no good just saying, thank you, Lord, I'm forgiven. You've got to walk in forgiveness. And we're going to see what God says about unforgiveness, and we're going to see why God says, if you do not forgive your brother, you will not be forgiven yourself. And we're going to examine that in great detail. Praise God. That's preview of coming attractions. Praise God. Father, I thank you for tonight. I ask you, Lord, that this fellowship might be a fellowship of revelation, that we might know what you've done to us, and that we might walk in the truth thereof. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you that the devil cannot touch us when we know the truth about ourselves. And I pray, Father, that we shouldn't just read we're more than conquerors, but that, Father, we should dare to walk out in life as more than a conqueror. Father, you've said if you resist the devil and keep on resisting him, he is going to flee. You said that he will be shortly crushed under our feet. And Father, we're believing that that's the truth. I ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, for a, a revolution to occur in each one of our lives, a heavenly revolution, that heaven might be seen on earth. Father, give us more Elishas who can see the truth in the Spirit and so receive peace in their lives. Father, just bless us all. Give us journeying mercies. Bless all those on the tapes that they might indeed be filled to overflowing with all the good bounty of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.